Hey guys, this is Pastor Neil. I just want to say thank you so much for joining us today on this podcast. Hey, would you do us a huge favor today? Would you subscribe, like, or leave us a review wherever you get this content? It really helps us reach other people with the gospel. Also, we would love, love to see you at our campus uh, on a Sunday morning. We meet at 1010 South Bowie Drive in Weatherford, Texas. You can check out our service times and more information about the church on our on our website, waterhousechurch.com. Check us out on Facebook or any other social media sites that you may have. We would love to see you. I pray that today you are renewed, restored, refreshed, and that your spirit comes alive. Now here is today's message. The Lord answered his prayer. And then there's a woman named Hannah. Hannah wept bitterly before the Lord because she could not have a child. And God answered her prayer. And that child's name was Samuel. And Samuel was the one who anointed David, king of Israel. And then I think of Elijah. He prayed. And then for three and a half years, it didn't rain. But after his assignment was over, he gets back on his knees. He prays. Seven times he prays. And on the seventh time, it started raining. And then there's Jesus in the garden. They said he prayed so hard that blood came out of his brow. And he prayed this prayer, not my will be done, but your will. And that prayer is what gave Jesus the strength to do what we could not. So why do we pray? Why do we spend 21 days of prayer and fasting? Well, we know that prayer works. And so you join us for 21 days of prayer. Changing, you know, I run into people like, man, pastor, your church is growing like crazy. What are you doing? And I tell them, I'm not doing anything. God's doing it all. And you know why? Because we have people that pray. We have people that pray. Uh, everything we do is bathed in prayer. I love that song where it says, day and night, night and day, let incense arise. For some of you, you're like, what are they talking about? I don't understand what they're saying. Well, in, in Scripture, it talks about in the temple, they would go in and they would light incense in the presence of the Lord. And that incense represented the prayers of the people. And you see also in Revelation that, that this picture of the prayers going up like incense to God. And so our prayers are like incense to the Father. He loves to, for us to go and spend time with him. He loves for us to go in and pray uh, for people, pray to him, and be connected to him. And so for these 21 days, we are focusing on known for being a knower, right? Is that known for being known? There it is. There it is. Yeah, there it is. Well, it's not up there, but known for being known. So there it, is. there it is. There it is. Known for knowing. I got it. Known for knowing. We even came up with that. I should, I should know that. But <laughs> known for knowing. Are you known for knowing God? Are you known for knowing God? You know, at the end of my life, if somebody said something about Neil Rowe when I die and they wheel me up and say nice things about me, I don't know what my wife will do with my body, but, you know, it's, uh, when, whenever they do with it, they're going to say some nice things over me. And the one thing I want them to say more than anything is that he knew God. Like he is known for knowing God. And I pray that all of us as believers would be known for knowing God, for walking with God. And so 
We're, we've made this really easy for you. So here's, here's some things to remember. First, I need to pull your phone out. Yes, pull your phone out. Everybody's got one. Don't lie and say you don't have one. All right. I know you got it. Take your, no, don't take a picture. So open up your text service and then text this number, 817-803-3131. Now that number is good for anything in the church. For If you need to get hold of anybody, we have several keywords that help, uh, help you get to where you need to go. But what we're going to do, if you just text the word 21 days and push enter, what that's going to do is we're going to send you a devotion every day for 21 days through your email. And I should have turned my notifications off. I was about to go crazy. Uh, but So we're going to send you an email every day with that. You can also go to our website, waterhousechurch.com, and pull that. No spaces. Thank you. No spaces. Just 21 days. No space. Um, and then hit enter, and we'll get you in there. And then also Monday through Friday in this building from 6.30 to 7, we're going to keep it open until 7.30, but from 6.30 to 7, we're going to have corporate time prayer, Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. to 7. Okay, so that's going to be very powerful. We'll have a little time of some worship, a quick devotion, and then we're going to pray specifically for areas in our community and each other. So make sure that we're here for that and pray at home. Prayer is powerful. And I'm going to challenge you, if you've never fasted anything in your life, during these 21 days that we, that we seek the Lord, maybe ask God, what do you want me to give up so I can connect with you? Because there's things in our life that keep us kind of at arm's length from God. There's things in our life that, that distract us. And so maybe just ask the Lord, Lord, what's distracting me from you that I need to let go of and get and sit down for a little while and, and come to you? And so 21 days, we're going to do that. When? Tomorrow, 6.30 in the morning. I'm going to see just as many people here at 6.30 in the morning. You guys are amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll have some coffee for you. It's okay. Uh, unless God's told you to shelve that for a little bit. But um, make sure we're doing that. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes things, guys. Prayer is amazing. So one more thing I want you to, if you've never gone to our Discover class, now this class is where we tell you about about the little bit about the church, Waterhouse Church, but it also helps you find your place. Like, how are you wired? What does God want to do with you? It helps you learn to grow. Like, how do I grow in my relationship with Christ and other people? We give you some tangible things to do in this, in this class that we do once a month. We've moved it to Wednesday nights at 6.30. So if you haven't had a chance to do Discover class, uh, we do it once a month. If you miss this one, it's fine. You can catch the next one. Um, it's a one-and-done class. And at the end of that class, uh, we give you an opportunity to, to serve uh, here at the church and to be a part of what we feel like God's called us to do here. And so that's going to be this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. So if you just text the word discover to that same number um, and then hit enter, and we'll give you all the information to sign up for that. It's going to be a good class. It's about an hour and a half long. So we keep it short and sweet, but we answer a lot of questions that you may have. So uh, no answers are off limits. That's what I tell people. No questions are off limits in that class. So there's all the announcements for the day. Um, so do, do all that. Now, I want to tell you something, uh, something else. Um, God, is, God is doing stuff within our midst that sometimes it's hard to grasp and understand what he does. You know, when we're singing that song, there's a revival in the church, and uh, there is a revival, not with just in this local body. I mean, this church, we're experiencing something amazing but also in other churches. I talk to other pastors and I have other friends that are go to different churches. God's doing something around the world right now. 
God is preparing his people for something. And, you know, as the day draws near, I'm not a doom and gloom guy, but the, the Bible does say the Lord is coming back. And as the day draws near, he's drawing his people in. And I believe that drawing has started. He's drawing people in and he's bringing them in and he's, he's doing stuff with, with his people because the time is close. And so I, I would just challenge you, if just listen to God today. Listen to the spirit today. If he's been drawing you in, maybe you came in this in, today and you have no idea why you're even here. Somebody invited you here. Or maybe you just heard stuff about what's going on here and you showed up and you're wondering about it. Be open to what the Spirit wants to say to you today. Be open to what he's maybe said to you during, during the worship time. When you walked in the door, maybe you felt something. Allow the Spirit to, to woo you. Allow him to move you closer to God because he wants us in his presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, or if you don't, it's going to be up on the board. We're still in Acts. We're Acts chapter 19, um, and we're going to finish this two-part series in Acts uh, 19 called Causing Good Trouble. Remember last week we talked, well, not last week, the week before last. Didn't Karen do an amazing job last week? Karen, that was a phenomenal message. Thank you. Um, but the, when we last left Acts, we saw that this idol worship was very strong in Ephesus. There was sorcery. There was demon-possessed people, and people were coming in and, and doing things that were not good. And the the whole city of Ephesus was being turned upside down by this gospel. And this is about to become the boiling point in Ephesus. This great riot is about to happen. And, you know, we've had great riots um, in our nation. Not, I'm not talking about lately. You know, lately we have. But, you know, we've had great riots in our nation. You know, the Boston Tea Party. You know, those things. We, and we've had great riots around the world. But I want to let you know about a riot we're going to talk about this one, but one that kind of happened and it just seems ridiculous because, you know, most riots, when uprisings and things happen, it's usually over something really trivial and it just gets out of hand. And so I want to read a story to you about a balloon riot. And this is a true story. This is like true. So in 1864, not back then in 1864, like balloonists were like the daredevils of the world. Okay. And so there was a major drawing for a, for a, uh, a major event in the summer of 1864, Henry Coxwell, who was a famous professional aeronaut, was set to make an appearance for 50,000 people to watch him fly this uh, balloon in Leicester, England. Unfortunately, a rumor spread that he hadn't bought his biggest and best balloon to the event. How dare him not bring the biggest and best balloon to the event? And then after hackling the crowd, Cowell, uh, after hackling the crowd, Oh, I lost my place here. There we go. A rumor spread that he hadn't brought his biggest balloon. After heckling the crowd, Coxwell deflated his balloon. He's like, I'm done with you people. He packs up his stuff, and the attendees rushed it, ripping it to shreds, setting it on fire, and threatening to visit the same fate to Coxwell. And get this, this is what happened. Rioters grabbed pieces of the balloon and were marching through town with the balloon, screaming at Coxwell because he didn't bring the biggest balloon. The Great Riot of Leicester Balloon Festival, 1864. It even gave the people a nickname in that town as Balloonatics. <laughs> Unlike that riot, this riot has a little more meaning to it, a little more purpose. This riot is a boiling point because the gospel has walked into Ephesus. Things were happening. The very culture was starting to shift, and people started taking a notice. And so we're going to pick this story up 
in verse 23 of chapter 19. And so it's a long story, but it's a good one. So we're going to read, and it's quite humorous actually as well. And so about that time, serious trouble developed in Ephesus concerning the way. This is the way is, is Jesus followers. Let's call it the way back then. It began with Demetrius, a silversmith who had a large business manufacturing silver shrines of the Greek goddess Artemis. He kept many craftsmen busy and he called them together along with other employees, uh, other employed in the similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know, our wealth comes from our business. But as you have seen and heard, this man, Paul, has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's and he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Of course, I'm not talking about just the loss of public respect for our business, but I'm also concerned that the temple of our great God, Artemis, goddess Artemis, will lose its influence and that Artemis, this magnificent goddess worshipped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world, will be robbed of her great prestige. And then at this, great anger boiled and they began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Seeing the whole city was filled with confusion. How riots usually start. (laughs) And then everyone rushed the amphitheater, dragging along Gaius and Aristocrus, who were Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia. Paul wanted to go in too, but the believers wouldn't let him. So the officials of the, some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, also sent a message to him, begging him not to risk his life by entering in the amphitheater. And inside, the people were shouting, some one thing, some another. Everyone was in confusion. In fact, most of them didn't even know why they were there. <laughs> Typical. We haven't changed a bit. <laughs> 2,000 years, and we're still... Mob mentality. Why are we? I don't know. We're just mad. (laughs) The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander forward and told him to explain the situation. He motioned for silence and tried to speak. But when the crowd realized he was a Jew, they started shouting again and kept it up for two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. At last, the mayor was able to quiet them down enough to speak. And he says, citizens of Ephesus... Everyone here knows that Ephesus is the official guardian of the temple of the great Artemis, whose image fell down to us from heaven. Since this is an undeniable fact, you should stay calm and do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, but they have stolen nothing from the temple and have not spoken against our goddess. If Demetrius and the craftsmen have a case against them, the courts are in session and the officials can hear the case at once. Let them make formal charges, and if there are complaints about other matters, they can be settled in a legal assembly. I am afraid we are in danger of being charged with rioting by the, by the Roman government, since there is no cause for all this commotion. And if Rome demands an explanation, we won't know what to say, and they didn't dismiss them, and they dispersed. So some things we can find out about this riot, and I want to talk to you about how the culture shifts when the gospel moves in. When the gospel moves in, the gospel is a redeeming gospel. Therefore, it it redeems everything. And as Paul moved in and the gospel started moving into Ephesus, all the things that made Ephesus, Ephesus started to shake and crumble. And we see that throughout the world. Why do you think throughout the world there is so much um, tension against Christianity? Why is it outlawed in so many countries? Because when Christianity comes in, when people start giving their life to Jesus, the culture around them starts to shift towards Jesus instead of those other things. And the culture itself starts to kind of unravel 
their, own, their old way to come back into this new kingdom of Jesus. And so this was happening in Ephesus, and it was causing a problem with these men that made their living selling these statues of Artemis, these silver statues. And I want to talk to you about our idols this morning. Do you have any idols? Do you go home and have, I mean, some of you may. I mean, but I want to talk to you about a little subtlety in our idolatry that we may not see. And I want to remind you what Isaiah says about idolatry. Isaiah chapter 44 says this. Let me turn to it real quick. He talks about how foolish people are when it comes to idols. Pick it up in verse 9. He says, how foolish. This is like a reflection of the people here in, in Ephesus that were making these idols. How foolish are these men who manufacture idols? These prized objects are really worthless. The people who worship idols don't know this, so they are all put to shame. Who but a fool would make his own God, an idol that cannot help him one bit? All who worship idols will be disgraced, along with all these craftsmen, mere humans who claim they can make a God. They may all stand together, but they will stand in terror and in shame. We see in this story as they were making these these, uh, these statues, they said, guys, we're losing business. We got to do something about this. So they grab these two Christians and they bring them to the amphitheater and they start screaming at the top of their lungs, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And nobody really knows why they're there. But at the end of the story, they were put to shame. The mayor says, guys, you're upset about nothing. Go on, go about your business. I know what Paul's preaching. So they're all put to shame. Verse 12, the blacksmith stands there at his forge to make a sharp tool, pounding and shaping it with all his might. His work makes him hungry and weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. The woodcarver measures a block of wood, then draws a pattern of it. He works in chisels and planes and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. All nice and neat, pretty there. Now, the statue of Artemis, if you, if you go back and you can see pictures, actually statues of Artemis, she was the Greek goddess of fertility as well. And so her was a beautiful woman with lots of, you know, mammary glands, okay? And so there's kids in here. Okay, that's, that's the picture she had. And so they carved this image thinking that that was going to make people fertile and that they were going to have good crops. And so they prayed to Artemis. But they're, they're carving in vain. He gives it human beauty. It shines in the little, he puts it in his little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the, the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, with it he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then, yes, it's true. He takes the rest of it. He makes a God to worship. He makes an idol. He bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and keep himself warm. And then he says, ah, this fire feels good. And then he takes what's left. He makes a God. He falls down in front of it, worshiping it and praying it, praying to it. Rescue me, he says. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect why, it's just a block of wood. This passage 
where he says the eyes are closed and they cannot see, their minds are shut and they cannot think. Other prophets talk about idols and they say that men become like what they worship. And so when Isaiah is saying they're blind and they're mute because their gods are blind and mute, their idols are blind and mute. And guys, the things that we put in front of God, we often start to become like because they start to drive us. They start to keep, they start to make us more like them instead of more like Jesus. You become blind. You become mute. You don't speak. And then he says, why is it? It's just a block of wood. It's burned half for heat. It's used for bread, baked bread and roast the meat. How can the rest of it be God? Should I bow down to the worship in a piece of wood? No, the poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that cannot help him at all. He cannot bring himself to ask this. Is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Is what I'm holding in my hand a lie? What do you trust in? What do I trust in? Is it truly trustworthy? Can I put my weight on it? Can I, can I trust it to hold me up when times are hard? Is it, truly on firm, is it truly on firm ground and unshakable? Can this thing give me security? Have I believed a lie? Have we believed a lie? Do we have things in our life? Do we have things in our hand right now that we're believing that can give us only what God can give us? Do we, do we trust in those things? Those things are called idols. Those things are anything that we put in front of God that we trust instead of trusting God has become an idol. Many times I trust in my own power. I trust in my own strength. I trust in my own ability. We're human. That's what we do. I'm telling you, without God, those things don't matter. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how able you are. Those things can be taken like that. God is the true source. Is it my bank account? Do I trust in what's in there? Well, you know, as well as everybody, it can go away quick. And the money you had saved up thinking it was going to be enough ain't even close. Do you trust in your own hard work? I can work my way out of this. Can it truly be trusted? Are you holding on to a lie? That's the question I have for you today. Is what you have in your hands lying to you? You know, we all have these little idols in our pockets. My wife. I don't worship her, but I do love her. But this is the, I, I catch myself all the time and, and always on it, always clicking, always browsing, always doing something. And, and, you know, I went to a men's event and I had to put my phone away for five days. And the first day it was kind of like, where's my phone? But by the end of it, I was like, I don't want my phone back. I don't want it back. Because I'm telling you, as soon as I picked it up, I felt it. I felt the pressure. I'm like, what am I going to find? I haven't checked my emails in five days. I haven't looked at my texts. You know, I haven't, I've been away from everybody, and there was a weight to it. This thing often draws us in and becomes our life, our reality. And we get worth by what we, our apps on our phones, our social media posts, right? If we get enough likes or if enough people view, then that gives me self-worth. That gives me affirmation, affirmation. 
that's not going to hold you up because what you're holding in your hand is a lie. If I can just get so many TikTok views and followers, then my life will make sense and my life will have purpose. And I'm telling you, they're done with you the next day. They don't care. Only God does. He's the one that's true. What are you holding on to that is lying to you? And here's the lies that these things tell, because I'm telling you what I feel. Social media tells me that I, I can be affirmed by how people react to my posts. Right? Social media tells me that I'm good enough, that people like me. Social media can tell me that I'm not good enough. People don't like me. The things in our life lie to us. Those things try to give us worth and value, but only God gives us worth and value. And yet we have it in our hand and we're believing that the lie that it's telling us. But I'm telling you, it's only going to produce more lies. It's only going to produce more lies because here's the thing about lies. All they can do is lie again to keep themselves going. There's no power in lies. There's no power in lies. Nothing in this world will bring you a full and deep longing in your heart that you really need. But Jesus... That's it. Nothing else. And as you read this story in Acts, these men were relying on these statues to bring them what they needed. The people of Ephesus were relying on this goddess Artemis to give them good crops and to give them babies and to do all these things. But what was blowing the mind of these men that were making these idols, that they were seeing these believers coming to faith and they were tossing out their idols and yet they were still being blessed. Somehow they weren't being struck dead. Somehow they were still having children. And it threatened them, and it made them fearful. And so they got together, and they plotted against this gospel. we got to do something. And I'm telling you, only fools fight for a lie. This uproar in Ephesus was over a lie. It was over Artemis. You know what? That temple is no longer there. It was the seventh wonder of the world at the time. I think I have a picture of what's left. That's it. Great is Artemis, right? Well, where's she at? But you know what's right here, right now? The church. It's still here. It's not gone anywhere. So what's the truth? What do we believe? This is beautiful. The church is beautiful. That's gone. That's dead. Nobody worships Artemis. But we all know Jesus. The truth stands firm. It doesn't have to be pushed around. It doesn't have to be shouted loud. The truth just stands on its own. Because after all the rioting was done, after everybody was done, the only thing left were those two guys, Gaius and Aristarchus. Standing there, everybody left. So what left? What's standing left? What's left? Just the truth. And I'm telling you, this world shouts lies loud and proud and strong, and they try to get you to believe it. And when you don't believe it, they just shout it louder, or they add more to it. 
that tell you this is what's good for you. This is your value. This is where you're going to find hope. This is where you're going to get what you need. If you just buy this item, your life will be amazing. I got those items. My life's not amazing. I'm just broke. Right? And that's sitting in my garage. But yet we put our faith in those things. We believe the lies that they're telling us. And here's the thing about lies. When they get exposed, they often get louder. And they become more violent. But I want to tell you, believer, when the lives of the world come at us, as, and I'm talking to believers right now. If you're not a believer, just, listen, just get what you can. But I'm talking to believers right now. We hold fast that we know the truth. That's why we're here today. Because we believe that Jesus died for our sins. He was risen on the third day. We're pretty weird people, if you think about it. And the world looks at us and says, I don't get those people. This seems like it's truth, but what they're, hand, what they're believing is a lie. And we stand with the truth. And, and Paul and Peter's telling us, I want to read this in 1 Peter's writing this church, this letter to the church, to endure when people question you and endure when people come at you, to endure when, when times are hard and they don't understand when you're being even persecuted. And he says, he says, I want you to endure, but I also want to give you a way to endure and an opportunity to endure and why you need to endure the lies that come at you and maybe even the violence that may come after you. And so in 1 Peter chapter 3, we read this. You can throw it up there. But even if you suffer for what is doing right, you know, you're going to suffer for doing right. You can't escape it. Because here's the thing, what, what some people deem as right, other people deem as wrong. Scripture very plainly says that one day there's going to be a day, we're pretty close, that you're going to call what is good evil and what is evil good. And you're not going to know the difference. And so people will look at people that believe and say, what they're doing is wrong, even though we're doing it for God and it's the right thing to do. But take heart. Here's the second point. God will reward you for it. He's going to reward you for it. There's, there's something outside of this existence. <laughs> there's an eternal thing waiting for us as people of God. We don't have to worry. We don't have to strive. We don't have to make it work. What possibly could we get on this earth? We got everything we need in heaven. What could compare to what God has in store for us? There's a reward for it. And then he says, don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Don't worry about what they say. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. So what's he saying there? He says, don't change your life to fit the culture around you so they'll accept you. Who do you serve? Do you serve God or do you serve the world? Who are you, who are you looking up to? Are you looking up to your neighbor, what they have? Are you looking at people on TV or YouTube? What are you looking at? What are you basing your worth off of? He says, no, you serve God. You serve Jesus. Jesus is the Lord of your life. So if he's the Lord of my life, then guess what? He owns me. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm your servant. 
I'll do whatever you want. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to shift my life to suit the needs of other, to suit what other people want from me. I'm going to do what you call me to do, and it's going to be good. And when we focus as Lord of our life, we're unshakable, we're unmovable. We stand there. Matthias and Aristarchus, these guys, they knew that Jesus was Lord of their life, and they were able to sit there amongst thousands of people screaming at them at the top of their lungs. And they didn't give up, they didn't lose heart. Jesus is Lord of your life, not those people, not, not the culture, not the world. Jesus is. Let's act like it, believers. Then he continues, because Jesus is Lord of your life, if someone asks you about the hope you have, always be ready to explain it. But do this, get this, guys, in a gentle and respectful way. Peter's saying, people are not going to understand you because you're a believer. They they may even riot and drag you out into the theater because they don't understand the hope that you have. In that opportunity, that moment, you have an opportunity to explain the hope that you have in your Lord Jesus Christ. And how do you explain it? Do you scream back as loud as they are? Do you get another counter riot going? No, you tell them in gentleness and respect. You see all through scripture, as, and, and we've been reading Acts for a while, when, when, people, when Paul was questioned and he was standing before the, the councils, when he was standing before governors, when he was standing before people, he was never disrespectful. He was never angry. He would just simply matter-of-factly tell them, look, I'm preaching about Jesus because he's the Lord of my life. He's done this in my life. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. He's doing miracles amongst us. He's called me to go preach to these people, and it's the hope of my life. I was this way, I met Jesus, and now I'm that way. And so now he's the Lord of my life. And so that's just simply explaining your hope in Jesus. Explaining your hope to those people, but do it in a loving, respectful way. Guys, the gospel is offensive enough without people making it more offensive. For someone, for, for someone to come to the reality that they're a sinner, that, that's offensive. But for a, belie- for, for a believer to code to an unbeliever and point out all their sins, that's even more offensive. We don't have that right. You know what we have a right to do? Tell them about our hope. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about what Jesus did in our life. You can't expect unbelievers to act like believers. And yet here in the church, get on a soapbox for a second, I probably shouldn't get on. But in the church, we often act, want unbelievers to act just like us and wonder why they don't. Well, they serve a different God. They don't serve Jesus. They serve their stomachs. They serve whatever's closest. And so why do you expect them to believe what we believe and do what we do and act like we act? They don't know Jesus. So I think we as a church need to have a little more patience with people. And don't expect so much out of unbelievers. They just act like what they worship. And it continues. Because here's what happens when you do that. 
when you do this in a gentle and respectful way, keep your conscience clear that then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. Man, if they drag you to court because you're an idiot, <laughs> you know, you, gotta, you don't have a leg to stand on. But if they drag you to court just because you're telling people about Jesus and you're living your life for Jesus, that's a whole different thing. And at the end, they're going to be ashamed. Earlier in 1 Peter, it talks about this again. And he says, when you get to heaven, they're going to rejoice because they're going to say, oh my gosh, this guy was right. And they're going to give God honor. We as believers have to walk this thing out in a way that other people can see it and it's attractional. And if, even if they do accuse you, they're going to be ashamed. I mean, they're going to feel sorry. They're going to feel bad about it. They're going to be embarrassed. Have you ever had somebody make an accusation about maybe a person at your work or a family member that, I mean, they're just, they're like perfect people. You know, they never do anything wrong and, and, and they make an accusation that's totally against their character. And what's your response? That's not them. That's not how they act. They're, I don't believe that. There ain't no way. As believers, it should be the same way. If somebody makes an accusation against us, those who believe, it should be, it's like, that's not how they are. That's not who they are. I didn't see that. I've never seen that. I've never experienced that. Thank God that, you know, in this church, it's not like that. You guys do an amazing job. I'm talking about the Big C Church. We, we got to give people our hope in a way that's going to reach them. And if they don't accept it, well, then that's on them and, and they'll be embarrassed for not accepting it. So here's a question I have for you. Is Jesus the Lord of your life today? Is he truly your Lord and your Savior? Have you given your life to him? Maybe you're screaming at people. Maybe you're yelling at people, arguing over the gospel with people on your Facebook groups or whatever because you don't believe it. And you're shouting it louder because you're trying to believe it. But I'm telling you today, Jesus can be Lord of your life. And you don't have to shout. You don't have to scream. You don't have to argue. You just stand firm in the truth. Jesus is the truth. Have you put your trust in him? Are you trusting that what you have in your hand is true? What you're holding on to in your hand is true. Hold on to Jesus. That's the only real thing in this life. That's the only true thing that's going to bring anything good in your life. Amen. Marjorie, if you can come up and I can get the prayer team to come up, I want to close this way. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this message, Lord. It's a heavy message. But God, I found in myself, as I read this story and read Isaiah, there's things in my life, Lord, that I put in front of you. They're not bad things. They're just distractions. And Lord, they've been lying to me. They've been telling me that I need it. They've been telling me that this brings me value. They've been telling me that these things bring me worth. But Lord, only you do that. 
Lord, you are all that I need. You give me energy. You give me what I need to get up and, get, and wake up. You help me go to bed. God, you are my source in my life. Lord, I pray that these people today, God, that you would show them something in their life today that they're believing. And it's a lie. It's a distraction. It's an idol in their life. Lord, I pray that they'd have the courage today to sit it down and to come to you, to lay their crowns down at your feet, Jesus, and declare that you as Lord of their life. Lord, I thank you for that. God, we love you for that. Lord, I also pray for those today, God, that are just, they need a touch from you. God, they came in this building today and they were broken or they felt broken. They needed an answer from you. And God, right now you're answering them and you're saying, I'm more than enough for you. Just trust me. Put your faith in me. Don't go back to that. Just follow me. So Lord, I thank you for that. God, we love you. We thank you, Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. We're going to close with this song and we're going to pray. And if you need prayer for anything at all, just come up with these awesome people up front. They love you. They want to pray with you. They want to touch heaven with you. Maybe today you want to make your Jesus Lord of your life. Come talk to us. They'll help you in that process. Maybe you need to get rid of something. It's holding you back. They'll help you in that process. But pray. Prayer is strong. Prayer is powerful. The church is built on prayer. So whatever the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you this whole time, you know what it is. Ask the Holy Spirit right now to reveal what you need and then come up to let the prayer team minister. This is just as important as the worship. This is just as important as the message. So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing, and I'm going to let God do what he does. Father, thank you. Thank you, God, for today. Thank you for this message. Thank you for these people. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would draw up everyone that needs prayer, that they would get prayed for. God, that people come up that need healing, that they would be healed. God, people that are, that are at the end of the rope, God, that you would give them strength to endure and continue. God, I pray for those that are depressed, Lord, that they would find joy. God, I, I pray today, Lord, for those people in here that have never given their life to you, that they would give their life to you and they would come and say yes to you, Lord. You are Lord of my life. You give me only what I need. We thank you for that, Jesus. So Holy Spirit, you drop everyone that needs prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.